The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 117, 118 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined by Laker fanatic Zandrick Ellison. Zan, how are you today? Good. I feel like last time I was so crabby about the Lakers' inevitable victory, but I don't feel much differently now. I mean, they lost one. That was nice to see. And then they they won. They're going up 3-1. It looks like we're going to see them in the finals against Miami, I guess. That that one's surprisingly 3-1. Is it over? Is this script already done? Is it shot? Right, is it over? For, is it over for both series? Right, that's. that's is it over kind of, for the season? I mean, should we just wrap it up early? Should we pre-tape and just so, you know call it a day? So Nuggets down three-one, and I don't, you know, they've come back from back-to-back series down three-one. Here, here's what I'll say about the Nuggets really quickly. I think they're better than the Lakers today. Like it, it is currently Friday, September twenty-fifth, I believe. Like. I think the Denver Nuggets are actually a better team today than the Los Angeles Lakers are. I, I think they should have won game two, and I think that they're going to watch the film of game four, or maybe they're not, and they're going to be pretty furious by how it went down. Certainly they gave up 13 offensive rebounds and 25 second chance points, but I just felt like every single time on Thursday night when it felt like they were going to break the dam, like I, I just honestly felt like it was a really unlucky performance for them. Like I, I felt like the refs were – LeBron and Anthony Davis made more free throws than Denver took. And we've talked a lot this year on the show about how LeBron's shot profile is different and how he's getting to the free throw line less than ever. And then not only that, but if defensively, like he has got this reputation as like a rim protector, if he can just destroy like Jamal Murray every time he goes to the rim, I just, I don't know, man, I don't want to be cranky. I don't want to be like the refs guy, but like, I think Denver is, I I, I think Denver's as good, if not better than the Lakers today. As as we record this, I think that team is as good as the Lakers. And it's, it's surprising. That's a bold, that's a bold take. I I disagree on the general premise, but I do understand the, the ref thing. They said, apparently like the Lakers, like formally complained to the league that LeBron wasn't getting enough calls. Dude, how, how insane is that? Well, and his free throw rate's been down, and Lakers fans harp on this. But it, it, like you said, he's older. He's not driving as much. Also, his free throw um, rate's up 13% in the playoffs. And I, I, don't, yeah. I don't. I looked at it this morning, so it may factor in last night, which could have pushed it. The, the data is a right. small sample. Right? Well, so, he got, after that complaint, he got 14 attempts. Made 11 of them, to his credit. That's good. And he made all his free throws in the fourth quarter, right? Or maybe he missed one in the fourth. And then after the game, you know, clearly it was, like, frustrating the Nuggets. Um, and I think – Maybe even more than like just one mad, bad call. It's like it's like a snowballing thing that I make, think makes them feel frustrated and deflated, and and just like gets in their head. And I think it did contribute a little bit. After the game, did you see Mike Malone's quote? He said, 
I'm going to have to go through the proper channels like they did to get some more free throws. You know, I mean, I that's thought, definitely good shade. I thought that was funny. And then I also, you know, the, the tough part is too, like we talk, everyone wants to talk about free throws, right? And Denver shot 23 free throws. And I think LeBron and Anthony Davis combined shot 28, and went 24 for 28. Cause I think Davis was 13 for 14, but, uh, like Jokic and Millsap were in foul trouble the whole fourth quarter. And like, we know that Denver needs Jokic. So when he picks up two, thought his fourth foul was a good call. I thought it was a stupid play by Jokic. And then I thought his fifth foul on like the Anthony Davis drive was just like a bullshit call. And like, it, it's just a tough situation when like you're two guys that actually can kind of guard Anthony Davis and not, not really like AD is amazing, right? Like he's so good. The first quarter of Thursday night was like such a good example of why, you want to play big too. Cause if he can shoot jumpers and you think you're going to get offensive rebounds, it makes you hard to stop. Right. Dwight was great offensively on Thursday night. He was very bad defensively, but I just, I just think like Denver, I thought Jamal Murray's presser was like deflating. Right. We talked about deflating last week on Monday, I guess, because of the buzzer beater. But like, if you're Denver, like, so you give up this buzzer beater, you know, you should be up two one going into last night. If, if you just, you know, don't get unlucky, really a 33% shooter makes a three and you lose the game. But and then I, I just don't think the energy is the same, right? They've played so many games. They've been in this situation before where every game matters. And it just – it doesn't feel like if, – if, if you're the Nuggets, right, it doesn't feel like you can win three straight games against the Lakers, whether or not you're better than them. It just doesn't feel like that's a possibility, right, because you saw what happened on Thursday night in a game that, like, arguably they were better than the Lakers. And it just was a situation where it just didn't feel like they were going to ever catch a break to, to win that game, especially not down the stretch. Cause they closed the leads. They cut the lead so many times, had so many chances to like cut it to one or take the lead. And like, it just felt like every single time something went against them. And I, I just feel like that is hard to, you know, I, I think it's hard to quantify from like a psychological perspective, but I thought Jamal Murray looked really like kind of almost desolate in his press conference as well. And I, I think that's well, tough. Cause if that guy's confidence is, I think they should be. If you, I see, I I have a slightly. I agree that I think it's gonna be hard to win three games in a row, but I think it's just because they're not as good. I, I and I think that's what's frustrating about it because it's like, hey, you lost the game by one, or you know, like that's the game you needed. You needed to win those fifty fifty games to to pull off an upset. I I think I understand what you're saying though because I think like as a team, like they all fit together better. They probably play together better. Listen, listen, hold on. Their depth not, is better. But. I'm not saying that Denver is better than the Lakers. Like if they played a hundred times, like maybe the Lakers win right. sixty. I'm saying today, like right now, as the bubble has progressed, I don't think Denver is worse than the Lakers. <laughs> no, I'm saying like what's I, I think. The, what's the difference? I think the season now is very different than the season was in March. No, but if they played a hundred times, who would win? I think it would. I mean, I think the Lakers would win because I think that at the end of the day, LeBron is going to end up in a situation. Well, how are they the better team? You're contradicting yourself. No, I think Denver. This is the this is the only series I think that I've watched where I'm like, oh, Denver's definitely. I think Denver's definitely better. Like, I think this is the series that Denver should be upset about. But if I don't Denver's think, better, wouldn't they win this hundred game series? No, no, no. I'm talking about entirely speaking of like this whole season, right? If you talk about this season when it started in like October or November, right? Like that, that the Lakers have been better than Denver. I think today how Denver is playing is better than how the Lakers are playing, and they're down so, three one. Is my point? But so, so if your point is like, let's say this series kept going for a hundred games, you think Denver would win? Eventually I do. Yeah, I do. But I, I mean, again, I think it's so hard because like you're never going to win any 50-50 game. It's just not going to happen. Like you're not. It, the, the, the way the Lakers feel to me right now is like, I don't know if you guys heard this, but I used to be a college basketball coach. Like we played Duke on like a neutral court plenty, right? We played him at Cameron Indoor once, which was cool, but like played Duke on a neutral court. And like you just knew 
on a neutral court, you needed to be eight to 10 points better than them because you were just never going to get any calls. Like it wasn't even that you were going to give up a bad call. Like you're just never going to get any calls. And so I just feel like if you're Denver, like you can be better than the Lakers and still lose the game because like everything at the rim for them is a foul. You get nothing at the rim. They're allowed to like, I, I just go back to game. I just go back to game three, right? So end of game three in the fourth quarter, Denver kind of like imploded a little bit, right? When they were up 20 and all of a sudden like Jamal Murray got stripped a bunch of times. And there's a very clear play where Jamal Murray is, he has the ball. Rondo tips the ball, like tips it ahead. And like Jamal Murray goes to run to get the ball and you can watch the play of Rondo literally just like grabbing Jamal Murray. So he can't go get the ball as like Caruso or somebody goes and grabs it and they, they end up scoring a layup. And it's like those calls, those 50, 50 calls that like Rondo, yeah, he gets a steal, he tips it, but then he fouls Jamal Murray and there's no right. call. It's like those. There was, a, uh, there was a few of those when Rondo was like wrecking havoc on defense where he was just like whacking people. Right. And it's um, like in loose ball situations, like we know that the Lakers get those calls. Like we, we saw it. And it was funny. Like I thought, right. I thought Thursday night, they make a big deal how LeBron has the two stops on Murray at the rim, right? The first one I thought was like pretty, it was close to 50 50. So, so they go to the second one. And Chris Weber's like, they give Weber the slow-mo. And Weber's, you know, he is who he is. Usually I watch it on mute, but I, I, whatever. I had nothing better to do. So, like, Weber's watching the slow-mo, right? And they, they, they give him the replay specifically so he can talk about how good LeBron is at defense as a rim protector. And, like, halfway through he goes, oh, wow, that's a foul on LeBron. Yeah, like, and it was, like, clearly a foul. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like, that's a three-point game, you know? Like, it doesn't totally bother me because I, I think it goes – it's like traditional basketball, traditional sports. Like you have to knock out the champ. You're not going to win a decision. And now that's a good, ana- that's being, a good analogy. I, I, you're right about that. Right. And the same with Duke. If you're the small school, like you get certain reputation calls and, and like being treated like the defending champ. I think it's fair. LeBron. Um, and even guys like Rondo, like Rondo's a respected that he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. And actually that's why I think Iguodala's, one of the reasons he's a good defender is because he's so well respected. He can kind of get away with some like slapping around and his hands are really good, but they'll give him like, if it's close, they'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And it's funny. Um, and you, see, a, you see certain guys not get those calls, right? Like Caruso has very good hands, I think. And he, he does not get those calls. And Jimmy right. Butler has, doesn't get all, always get those calls either. At least he hasn't. And, against that, the that's, and if you, if you know that you have that reputation, like Udala, you can get a little handsier and take some stabs at the ball. If you're, and if you're like some scrub, like, playing against James Harden, you're just terrified because you know if anything close, you're going to get called for it. Yeah, so you just, it, like, back away. And, I, and you know, I think, too, again, like, I don't like being, like, the ref guy. I, I just thought that last night's game was a very evenly played game by two teams. I thought, like I said, I, th- I didn't think there was a big difference between the two teams last night. And part of it was because Jamal Murray was just, like, so spectacular on offense. And, again, like, the shot making is just really impressive. But I think, like, it, it speaks to Denver moving forward a little bit, right? Like, we've we've kind of talked about them and – Malone has tinkered with some things as the series has gone on. And again, this is, you don't want to go down three, one in, in three straight series. And again, I, I don't think either one of us feel like they're, they're coming back this time, but certainly they've shown that they can, but like, if you're Denver, you have to feel pretty good. I think like you have to feel like moving forward, like, okay, we're going to take that Paul Millsap money. We're going to give it to Jeremy Grant. Maybe Millsap right. comes back on like a smaller deal. He, he has not shown the proclivity to do that. So, you know, maybe if he feels like he's done, maybe he takes like a one-year, $5 million deal. He, he's not, I think he's done anyway. But like, so if you're Denver, like what's next for you? Because you have to feel like, damn, we're going to play the Lakers, who I would say are, you know, again, are the title favorite at this point. And you're going to say like, we played them really close. Like they, they, they laid an egg in game one. We'll see what happens in games five, six, and seven, if those are necessary anyway. But like, 
if you're Denver, you got to feel like, man, we're right there, right? Jamal Murray's 23. We got him locked up. Jokic is tremendous. I think he's only, what, 25? Like, he's locked up. So, like, you can't lose Jeremy Grant, but, like, you got to feel good about the future if you're Denver based on what you've seen. Like, they are going toe-to-toe with the Lakers. Well, yeah, and I agree. And I think um, I would say prior to the season, prior to this playoffs, Denver's a very good team that's not great and can't doesn't have that title potential, that title upside. But I think we see this playoffs, the sort of title bar has been lowered a little bit. Because, like, look, like Milwaukee turned out they weren't unbeatable. The Clippers weren't unbeatable. The Lakers are very good, but, like, you can you beat them. And so if you're a team like Denver or Boston or Toronto or Miami, all these teams that are like you think would peak in the second round, like the league's a little more wide open than it had been in the past few years. And if you're one of the top five teams, maybe you can win a title. Yeah. And again, you know, it'll be interesting to see how good Brooklyn is next year. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the Clippers. And then Golden State's going to be, you know, really interesting depending on what they do, I think, with that right. and second overall pick. Second pick. If they get Bradley Beal or whatever, you know, it's like then then they might be legit. Or if they get Giannis. And again, like you still have like yeah. what what do the Bucks do? Like at some point you have to tinker if you're the Bucks. But if you're Denver, this is two years in a row you've run it back. And like you don't really want to be the the Blazers, right? Like you don't really want to be the Trailblazers where like you make the playoffs, you win fifty plus games three straight years, you have one good year where you go to conference finals, but like they get, the Blazers got blown out by the Warriors without Kevin Durant. Right. This Denver's, has been more Denver, competitive. Yeah, Denver's not getting blown out. And again, you have to – it's tough. Like, I think we joked about the – what was it, Kenny Smith with the perennial all-star comment about Jamal Murray, but every single game that goes on as he continues to just put on, like, this incredible display of shot-making and playmaking, like, next year, are, are people not going to vote Jamal Murray? Like, at preseason, is he not going to be a right. guy that they're going to be He's, like, oh, that's second or third-team All-NBA player? Breakout star, um, I think, of this postseason. I mean, look. Arguably the best player in the postseason. I, yeah, I, mean, I think shooting, that's a, you know you call it fluky, but it's like forty-seven percent shooting from three. He's averaging twenty-seven a game. He's playing forty minutes a night. I mean, he's he's been red hot for so long. To, you know, and I think it's him or games. it's him or Anthony Davis, right? Have been the two. I mean, maybe Jason Tatum. I, I don't know, but like because Miami's a little bit more of like a team effort. But like if you look at like guys that have just consistently been the best, like it's hard to argue with either he or AD. And I know like LeBron stands gonna get upset with that but like the bottom line is like Anthony Davis is like propping the Lakers up offensively and I I understand LeBron's role is different but like they don't make enough shots without Anthony Davis like the guy is just a fantastic shot his first five shots are awesome it was like it looked like he was KD you know just like just drilling his mid-range shot like wow it's funny because we talk about like breakout star too and like Let's talk about a fallen star for a second. Like Kyle Kuzma can't see the court in the fourth quarter of these games. And he played well in the first half last night or Thursday night. But like Kuzma has just been so bad. But that's good. I mean, I mean, good for Frank Vogel. And Mike Malone, I was always on the fence with. I think he's He's done a good job as well. He's been been quite good. Yeah. Yeah. I think all the coaches, there's no one that I'm like, I'm not seeing like the Scotty Brooks playing Kendrick Perkins in this playoffs. I'm not, I haven't really seen anyone. I guess Bud, Coach Bud would get a lot of heat, but I still didn't think – I think they were just limited. I, I don't really you know, write that off either. I thought Vogel starting Dwight Howard on Thursday was a bad decision. Like, I just really did because, like, Jokic was good, and, and they were like, oh, he's going to stop him. And, like, really they got saved because Howard had eight rebounds in the first quarter 
think he had four offensive rebounds, putbacks. He ended up with a double-double, but he was very bad defensively. I, I don't think they're going to get 22 quality minutes out of Dwight Howard in game five. I just don't see it. So I don't know if he'll go back to the well at that, but it clearly helped them. Like he was, right. you know, it helped them build a 10 point lead. And again, it's the NBA and the games are long, but like 10 points is 10 points. Like you don't want to spot a team like that. And, and I think that, you know, it's funny. I, the one coach I was going to say, just to go back on my own point, I think Doc Rivers had a bad coaching performance. He was, but terrible. at the same time, it's like, Hey, you're, your two stars shot like, like clanked a bunch of shots. And it's like, how much is that really your fault? Like he was a contributing. Don't think it was totally his fault. Um, but Kuzma, your boy Kuzma, you got to love the confidence. He, he played only 18 minutes. And 11 shots. Jacked up 11 shots. <laughs> yeah. Good for him. I mean, I, I don't really know what to make of him at this point. Is he just completely, is he just a bad player by the average, like standard being, average player in the NBA who gets minutes. I think he's probably worse than that, right? I had a, I had this conversation with somebody the other day, like just via text, like if Kyle Kuzma played for any of the other three teams currently in the playoffs, would he be in their rotations? And like maybe he would be in Boston's rotation just because they're thin, but like Brad Stevens is more likely to play like semi Ojolet or like Grant Williams than he would Kyle Kuzma, right? Because he doesn't need someone like hijacking his offense who, who doesn't ever get stops. So like, I just don't think that Kuzma plays for any of the other three teams. I really don't. It's it's right. and I actually think like Kuzma has some virtue where it's like we thought before the season like, look, you're playing Anthony Davis, you're playing LeBron James, and you want to manage their minutes. So maybe it's good to have Kuzma soak up those bench minutes and be a scorer. But these guys have been healthy, you know, one scare aside, they're playing 40 minutes a night. There's really not that many minutes for Kuzma to be the offense, um, and he's pretty useless. And I guess he's a free agent at the end of next season. <laughs> he is pretty useless. Like, that's a pretty good way. It's callous. But, like, if you ask me to describe Kyle Kuzma, like, I don't know that I'd say totally useless because, like you said, he could make some shots. Like, he's got some energy. Like, he, he does play hard. But, like, pretty useless is a good way to describe him, I think. Yeah. He, he'd be great. <laughs> like, and it's, it shows you, like, basketball stats in general and why they're misleading. Because, like, let's say Kuzma was on the Knicks this year. Oh, he'd be great. He would be putting up 20 points a game, and, like, people would be treating him like a verge, like, near all-star, and he wouldn't be helping the team win. And, you know, and so it's just hard. The bar is just so hard on this playoff team. Like, and being, you know, it's so much easier to be, like, the top guy on a bad team than to be the third or fourth guy on a really good team. It's funny because, remember, I don't I, this it's so long ago, but in, in March or, like, right around the trade deadline, then the obviously, like, everybody knew the Knicks were going to trade Marcus Morris. And so they ended up getting, what, like, 27 and 35 and then a pick swap with the Clippers for Marcus Morris. But they had kicked the tires on, like, getting Kyle Kuzma, and the Lakers said no. Like, they wanted Morris for Kuzma or, you know, something along those lines. Maybe there was some salary fill or whatever. Like, they wanted that deal, and the Lakers said no. And, like, I think if you ask Knicks fans today, like, what are you more happy with? You'd probably want the late-round picks, right? Like, there's no way that you would want to trade an asset for one year of Kyle Kuzma. Like, you don't want to pay that guy either. It's just, right. and, and I don't it's mean to like bash Kyle Kuzma because he's certainly Danny Green has been, in my opinion, a bigger problem for the Lakers. And I don't know how they beat Miami or Boston if he doesn't make shots in the in the uh, NBA Finals. Because I do think like those two teams are better defensively than Denver, and I think they'll be better at targeting like making Rondo beat them a lot more than than Denver has done. And so like you can't just close games with like Caruso, Rondo, 
KCP, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. Like, you're going to need a guy like Danny Green. You're going to need a guy like Kyle Kuzma. You're going to need Marquise Morris. Like, one of those guys is going to have to make shots. And Danny Green has just been so bad offensively. Like, but we like him better than Kyle Kuzma, right? Like, he's, he's done it at you a know, high this, state. This, uh, this might be dating myself, but this sort of principle is what I call, I'm coining this term, the Loy Vaught principle. Do you remember Loy Vaught for the Clippers? I, I do remember Loy Vaught. I can't say that I watched him play a ton. I definitely yeah, played I, as I lived, him. Right. I, I grew up in LA, so I remember him. He was like the best, quote unquote, best player on the Clippers in the, for a period in the 90s. He was like their leading scorer. I'm looking at average 17 and 10. You know, 50% good. shooting. It's like, hey, this guy's a good player. Meanwhile, the Clippers are just terrible. Like, they were winning, like, 15 games, 20 games a year. And eventually, Louis Vaught goes to a different team. This is amazing. So he averaged 17, 16, 15. Two years later, he's in Detroit, and he's playing 13 minutes a night and averaging three points a game on a better team. It's just like somebody has to score. So if you're Louis Vaught or you're Kyle Kuzma and you're on this bad team, you're going to score 15, 20 points a game. So would Kyle Kuzma be, like, the ultimate, like, we're trying – trying to tank but we want to like fake tank like we want people to think that we're playing really hard so like let's get Kyle Kuzma and let him use like 30 percent of possessions because we know we'll win 14 games like is that what you're saying his role in the NBA is but you know it's sometimes you get humbled because you you think that about like Jordan Clarkson and then he found a good role yeah I just don't understand what role is better than Kyle Kuzma than the role that he's currently in is my question that's a great question (laughs) (laughs) I mean it would have to be because you think this, you're right. This is sort of perfect for him. He's a big forward, no pressure on him, a lot of defensive attention on everyone else. I just don't think he could, he's not reliable enough of a shooter to really thrive. He needs I do to wonder. be. Like, what about Portland? Like, if he was like the we can't starting. Just give every wing, <laughs> every bigger wing to Portland. Like, we tend to do that on this show. Here's my question about the, the no pressure thing regular season LeBron is. You know, he's great, right? He's, he's, he's great. Look, LeBron's great in general. Like, I, I'm, I'm very annoyed with his current on-court personality. Again, I, I think he's reverted very clearly back to who he was before he had won a title, which was like that he thinks that everyone's out to get him and he never commits a foul, whatever. But I wonder if, like, playoff LeBron right now, like, if there's more pressure on a guy like Kyle Kuzma. Because, you know, in the regular season, like, he's, like, nurturing. He loves Kyle Kuzma. He's part of the crew. Same thing with AD. But, like, I wonder if LeBron's like a bit harder on a guy like Kyle Kuzma in the play. It's hard to do it to a guy like Danny Green or a guy like Rondo because like they've been there. They have NBA titles. Like they know how to do it, right? But like a guy like Kuzma, like I could see LeBron being very hard on oh, him. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like Jordan on like Kwame Brown or whatever. Or um, LeBron. Remember he used to yell at Mario Chalmers a lot. Was it Mario yeah, Chalmers? It was Mario yeah. Chalmers. I love that you brought that up. Those Because Mario Chalmers made some like big shots too for them. For the heat, but he used to just abuse Mario Chalmers. Those are so great, and Norris Cole too, right? Like those cards. I like LeBron. So, I like, but it's, yeah, you like LeBron now. You're a LeBron fan. I, I just like. I feel like my. This is kind of how I feel about like the uh, after the 2016 election. I'm not comparing LeBron to Donald Trump at all. I'm not because they they are not the same. But like. Once Donald Trump won in 2016, it was kind of just like, all right, you have to accept it. There's nothing you can do. So what I'm trying to do, not I'm not, I don't want to talk about the 2020 election at all, but I think the Lakers are probably going to win the title. So maybe if I just get on board with it now, it won't mm-hmm. bother me so much that they won the title, right? So if I just like convince myself that I'm like, yeah, it'd be cool if they win the title, I'm fine. I like LeBron. Like maybe, you know, maybe two weeks from now when we're doing the podcast talking about LeBron winning a fourth title, then I won't sound like a miserable old hack. How about that? 
Well, can I ask you one question? Let's talk about just embracing the narrative now. Rajon Rondo, um, playoff Rondo. Yeah. I thought he was going to be one of their biggest liabilities. He's played well. Yeah, he's played well. No doubt about it. He's played really well in the playoffs. And I just looked up his true shooting percentage in the regular season was 49%, well under average. Now 58% in the playoffs. Is this a real thing? Do you officially buy into playoff Rondo now? I don't because it's been so long. Like he's playing well in a, in a very limited role. Like he handles the ball. Like the Lakers though, you know, so many of his things are just passing to open shooters. And I do think like, you know, he, he knows how to play. Like he's a good team defender. I, I think that teams have not attacked him. Like I would expect offensively. And he made some shots against like Houston, but like in game three of this series, like he was so bad in the first half, like, and then even Thursday night, you know, all of a sudden he's feeling kind of good about himself. And then he takes like a wide open three and bricks it, throws like a terrible pass out of bounds to Anthony Davis. Like I think when he plays very much within himself, that he's just like a cog, like he's the seventh man, like, come in, run the offense, play kind of like Monte Morris plays a little bit for Denver. Like, yeah, I think that's good. But, like, this isn't a guy that's, like, they can't rely on him super heavily to be, like, a great player for them. They just can't do that, right? He's playing 20 minutes a night, and I think Vogel does a good job of, like, picking and choosing his spots with Rondo. Yeah, I I still don't believe in the playoff Rondo thing. Like, even statistically – He's better in the playoffs, but he plays more minutes. There's really marginal difference aside from this year in terms you, of his playoff. He does have a, he has a minus net rating in this series. Like it's not even it's not even like it's not even like he's minus one. He's like minus six, right? And I understand that because he plays minutes without LeBron and AD, but he's he closes games with them. So like very clearly yeah. something's up, right? Like, but I was gonna ask you this because I think okay, let's say the Lakers win the title. Yeah, Rondo has now won two titles. He's made four all-star teams early on in Boston. Is he going to make the Hall of Fame? Yeah, that's an interesting question. He, cool, maybe. I don't know. I think it's I mean, close. I mean, he's a guy that sure, media right? like, really lionizes, too. You know, he had the issue with, like, Rick Carlisle, and he came out with that smelling pretty good, actually, where he just kind of, like, I mean, like, Rondo, just for all all intents and purposes, like Rondo just sort of like torpedoed his career for a couple of years. He sort of like just did the Randy Moss thing where like he just couldn't find a spot that he wanted to be. He was unhappy in Boston. And then like, I mean, look at this, right? So he was in Boston. Then he was in Sacramento for 72 games. Then he was in Chicago for 69 games where he didn't really have, he had like an okay year and he had the first good playoff series where he broke his hand and like playoff Rondo was kind of born, right? Then he was in New Orleans and he was pretty good. He was horrendous with the Lakers last year, but like, the last five years of Rajon Rondo's career have not been pretty, Zan. Like, no. It's not, and in the, when he won the title the first time, he was probably the fourth best player. This I time think, around, he might be the, you know, whatever, the fifth best player. On the if team he wins a title, I would say he's 70% to make the Hall of Fame. How does and that sound? Comp- you know, it's interesting. Basketball Reference has Hall of Fame probability stats. Really cool. I don't know how they do it exactly, but um, they seem pretty accurate, you know, based on your statistics and your accolades. LeBron, uh, 100% right now. Yeah, 100%. So is Chris Paul and Kevin Durant. They're, so, uh, you know, they're saying basically they could retire and make the Hall of Fame. I think that's I mean, true I would assume, in both cases. I would assume like Steph Curry and James Harden and Russell Westbrook are all 100%. Yeah, great call. They're, they're, all three of those guys are almost identical, 99.9. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you the other guys active. Tell me if you agree or not. Dwight Howard's at 99%. 100% Hall of Famer. Like, no question about it. Carmelo Anthony, 98%. Yeah, I could see that. Um, 
young Anthony Davis already up to 91%. I mean, if he it wins might be a, too early to say that. But. If he wins a title, I would expect him to get into the Hall of Fame. He's also going to be a little high. you got to keep in mind, too. Hey, you got to keep in mind, too, it is the Basketball Hall of Fame. So, like, your college right. accolades matter and your, and your Olympic stuff matter. Like, that's the thing with Melo that probably pushes him way over the top is the three gold medals, too, and the NBA and, then, t- and the NCAA title. These other guys, I think they're listed a little higher than I would have expected. Kyle Lowry, 85%. Kevin Love, 73. I think he'll make it. Damon Lillard, 72. I think he'll make it. Um, Paul George, 65. That's where's high. Where's Rajon? Well, I'm getting to 50%. Kyle, Kyrie Irving, 65. His, his titles, I think, help a lot. Kawhi Leonard, 55. I think his titles help He's a lot. He's 100% getting him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Blake Griffin, 55. I think that seems a little high. I That's don't know. Clay Thompson, 52. Might be low. Given He's the getting titles. in. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how, how they factor this in, but Lamarcus Aldridge, 51, seems high. Jimmy Butler, 43, seems a little high. Rajon Rondo, 41% chance of making the Hall of Fame. That sounds about accurate for the first time, but I think it right, might be higher than that if they win the title. Two titles. He has one All-NBA team, right? He's won the assist. Cha- he's been assist like champ a couple years, right? Like steals champ a couple years. He had the sh- – I don't know. Yeah. I, I, if Kyle's 85%. Right, right. Like, the guys that are a little lower than I would think. I've always heard Derrick Rose is on the bubble because he won MVP. He's only twelve percent. He's not getting based in. on stats, I guess. He isn't getting in. Um, Igudala six percent. I could have seen it if he wins the title again, and then he's the ultimate winner. Marcus Saul four percent, probably higher. Marcus Saul's getting in. Marcus Saul's going to be a Hall of Famer because Marcus Saul's two percent. Igudala's only six percent. Yeah, he's actually and playing pretty well. This, I think this must be mostly just completely stat based because Iguodala's like reputation is higher than that, right? What would you? I don't know. It's, it's interesting, right? Because like he, Iggy's what? Iggy's got three titles, and he might have. A guys, four. I mean, like you said, it's the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's wonky. The the you know, it's not very well done. If I was running it, the guys that are borderline to me, like, would be like Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love. Like, I don't really know if I would let them in. They won a title, I guess. I would, if you would let them in. <laughs> I'm going to have my own Hall of Fame, I think. I think Marcus Saul is like very clearly a Hall of Famer. Marcus Do you think Saul Kyle was, Lowry is a Hall of Famer? Yeah, I don't know. 85% seems high. I'm not saying that I don't feel like he's a Hall of Famer. I'm just saying like he's 85%. Six, six All-Star teams, one title. And he has, has he made any All-NBA teams? I mean, has he ever felt like a top 10 player? Felt like it in the playoffs this year. I won't lie about that. I mean, he's made, he finished 10th in MVP once. Um, let me see, all NBA. I don't see any all NBA. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't like if you asked me today, like, would I vote for Kyle or would I vote for Rondo? I think I would vote for Kyle over Rondo for the totality of his career. Although I would say, yeah, maybe, I think I would agree with that just because it feels like he was so instrumental in building Toronto. Yeah, sustaining Toronto yeah. and Rondo like kind of inherited the Boston thing. Yeah, I remember, and it was like a big deal. Like they 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 were like, oh, you know, because even Kendrick Perkins was very important to that Boston team, and they were like, well, what are what are teams going to do when they just dare Rondo to shoot? And like he ended up being a you know a really good player and kind of like fit in well because of his personality, I think. And you know, I, I think it's funny when you when you play with LeBron, right? I I remember I this I think I've told this story before. I don't know for sure, but I remember like um. Back when, do you remember like when Miami had the huge winning streak when he was there with like yes. Ray Allen? They won like 25 games in a row or something. 
So like probably like 15 games into that streak, when I was at Temple, they were playing the Sixers and they had an off day. And so they, they came to practice, right? So they came to our facility and it was, and, I, and James Jones and Juwan Howard were like, just kind of like walking in together. And both of them were pretty much done at that point. But I remember James Jones saying that like, when you play for the heat, like you have to show up because like Chris Anderson, like went and bought a smoothie and wasn't even on the court before practice starts. And like, so James Jones was like asking questions about the facility and he said something along the lines of like, Oh, like Eddie Jones, like look at all these great players you had. And I was like, Oh man, like that's cool. Like not a lot of people know a ton about temple. And he said, when you play with LeBron and you're in the spotlight all the time, you have to have something to say to people because everybody wants to talk to you and they don't get a chance to talk to like Ray Allen. They don't get a chance to talk to Dwayne Wade. They can't talk to Chris Bosh. So like, Oh, Hey, there's Joel Anderson. Like there's, you know, uh, or Joel Anthony, like there's James Jones. And so like he said, you, you sort of just have to be like ready to speak. And like, so with Rondo, I, I think it's great that he's back in the spotlight, right? Especially because like he is a really good player and he was a really good player for a long time. But like when you play with LeBron, like this is the type of thing that probably elevates him into being a Hall of Famer, right? That he plays a big role in LeBron's fourth title. And then people remember that, I think. Yeah, no, totally. And I think Iguodala, same thing. It's like the myth mythos or whatever mythology whatever the cachet of winning mystique Mystique. that's what i was looking for and it's so silly because it's like you know you see it all the time too like the guy's a winner or not yeah it's so Um, dumb like it's like anthony and we've seen it so many times in our lifetime like paul gasol couldn't get out of the first round he's a loser oh wait he's on the lakers now suddenly he's a champion garnett couldn't get out of the first round suddenly he's a champion and um anthony davis can't even make the playoffs. And then you see him in big moments. Hey, it turns out he could, he could probably win a title. He's on the right team. So I don't know if it really means a lot. But, hey, Rondo is one of those guys. Maybe Jimmy Butler is one of those guys who does actually elevate your entire team with you. It's pretty, it's pretty hard, I think. To, and that's probably the argument for Kyle, too, right? Like, but it's pretty hard to argue against Jimmy Butler. This is not a good time for Jimmy haters, I think. Real quick. If no, I wanted, absolutely. And even me, looking me, back on like Minnesota, oh, he derailed Minnesota. He led it to 48 wins that year. They made the, been terrible ever since. Yeah, they made the playoffs that, that year, and they were good in, in Chicago. Let me ask you a question. Is, is there anywhere I could bet on Hall of Fame odds if I needed to? I don't know if you could bet on Hall of Fame odds, but you don't even need to because you, there's other bets you can do. Um, NBA and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have, have you covered. Get in on all the action, including an NBA playoff bracket. Should be easy to do. Fill it out. Only a few games left. Uh, but Major League Baseball continues to push through in the summer. There's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. As Bet Online has hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Take advantage of every sport. And remember, our casino never closes. It's there for you to check out and enjoy. So head to the website today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus. Free money, they call that. You use the promo code PODCAST1, spelled out, PODCAST1, O-N-E, for your free sign-up bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so I want to I want to talk about this for a second. So before we get into the Eastern Conference Finals, which Miami is up 3-1, they beat Boston in what I think we should just call the Tyler Hero game on Wednesday night, I believe 112 to 109. It was a little bit... Uh, it was like a little bit worse than that at the end. And Wait a minute. Can I, can I call you out on something? What's that? So we're recording a podcast and I'm on a group text with you and you're texting away. <laughs> yeah, I sent a text message while you were doing that ad read. That's called multitasking. Uh, yeah, talk about a millennial here. All right, so here's the thing, right? 538, a lot of people have some 
you know, critiques about the stuff that they do on their website and their metrics, if you will. It's a big time for 538 election season. Nate Silver, it's where he cut his teeth, polling data. I hate 538 now. I've turned on them. Yeah. I mean, now they have, I'm not going to get it. Feels, it feels like their whole like thing was getting famous was like coming up with odds yeah, and predictions. And now their whole thing is like explaining why their predictions aren't totally, you know, the, hedging their bets basically. It's, it's quite, it's quite annoying now that the polling data specifically for the election should be very skewed in favor of Biden, but their like uncertainty model, like pushes it back to like 60% or 65%. That Biden's yeah. That is win. covering their ass. And, yeah. Ridiculous. It's, it's like very clear that like, they want to be like, Oh, well we gave Trump the biggest shot to win and he won. Look at that. Like that's our model. Or if like Biden wins, you can just say like, yeah, we knew Biden was going to win. But, Absolutely. Like I saw somebody defend 538 saying like, Oh, they said Hillary had a 70% chance, but that's lower than other people. I'm like, Oh, so you can win either way then, I guess, if you yeah. say Hillary's going to win by, and, you and, know. And, and I will say one of the analytical things that we've talked about on the show, even with, you know, just sports in general, is that like people have a very hard time understanding just casually that 85% is not 100%, right? Or, or, or like, let's just talk about like, just in the, I think we talked about this in the Toronto, Boston, like buzzer beater and a newbie buzzer beater, right? Like, Boston has like a 99.5% chance to win the game. But like there is that crazy 0.5% chance that Toronto is going to win. Like they don't win every single time, but the problem is we only see one outcome. Right. So like when you see someone had a 70% chance, like you're just like, well, how did he not win? And it's, but anyway, here's why I want to But it's it. also like, like parsing out the percentages is kind of a cop out. Like if, if it's Miami Lakers finals and I'm like, I think the Lakers have a 56% chance of winning. Like that's probably accurate. But like, who the heck cares? You know? Yeah. So here's that's why I brought this up. So they did their their finals odds are updated this morning, right? So Miami and the Lakers both eighty six percent to make the finals, which makes sense. They're up three one, and that happens. It's it's odd that they're exactly the same because I would assume if it's based on a specific algorithm, like they shouldn't have the exact same odds. But of those two teams, who has the higher odds to make to win the finals, and what is their percentage on five thirty eight without looking? Well. I think you're leading us somewhere, but it should be, I would say, Lakers 60%. It is Miami 64% to win the title. Lakers I, 20 Hey, I give them credit for that. That's a bold prediction. And yeah. um, I'm guessing it's based on their play in the bubble and the playoffs. The one thing that the 538 model really screwed up for sports in basketball was perpetually underrating like the sort of veteran teams like LeBron yeah. and Golden State. Because they're like they're coasting in the regular season, and then you, you lower them as a result. But it's like clearly any average fan knows that like Golden State and Durant can step it up a notch and, if they want to. And you know, like statistically speaking, like you're supposed to update your models to like reflect that, right? That like yeah, we know based yeah. on what we've seen, and this is the same thing that's kind of happening in the election right now. Is like we know what we've seen is showing us this, but we do need to add right. some level of uncertainty. Well, the racists can step up their game come election day. You know, yes. it's like the, <laughs> flip the switch. <laughs> so, but here's the thing, like. I, I like to see, and I would consider 538 to be a mainstream outlet. Obviously, they're more analytically inclined, so I don't think like you know your standard people are going to 538 and being like, who do they think is going to win the title? But the stuff gets tweeted out, whatever. I, I like to see the fact that somebody is is saying that like, hey, Miami has a legit, even if they just had the same odds as the Lakers, because I, I don't think people feel that way. And I don't, I don't want to write off Boston. I think, but I'll tell you, I, I let's write off Boston. I mean, they're a good team. They're close. Maybe they're 50 50 to win a game, but it's just like. 3-1, it's hard. Miami's it's tough. right now. Yeah, it's it's not happened much. Like, Denver's done it twice, and I think before that it had only been done like seven or eight times, right? And, and but you, You've been ahead of the curve on Miami for the most part, and I want to ask you this. Is this Lakers-Miami potential final showdown? We'll probably talk again before the finals, but are there shades of 
that finals where Kobe and Shaq played the Pistons and the public was on the Lakers because of the name value and Detroit was just rolling and beat them badly. I think that's a good comparison. Obviously, the teams are quite different. but and, and Miami, you know, they need to make shots. And one thing about the Lakers is, like, the Lakers are very good defensively. Like, they are a very good defensive team, despite the fact that, like, Denver has made a ton of shots against them. So, But, De- but Miami doesn't have Jamal Murray or Jokic, right? So it's going to be a very different series. Like, And I think that the Lakers are going to do a pretty good job of limiting shooters. But the one thing that Miami has, and I, I said this before, like, They've got big wings, right? Like they, it, it's a little bit easier for like Caruso to guard Gary Harris. It's like a little bit, but you see what Jeremy Grant has done to the Lakers, right? We've seen that. And either Boston or Miami has those types of scores where like you got a guy like Jimmy Butler, like Tyler Hero looks great. Jay Crowder's making some shots. Like he's, he's kind of stepped back into it a little bit. Like Iguodala has actually played quite well, you know, down the stretch in games. They do have Duncan Robinson. And then, you know, Dragic, if he plays well, like, that's a big deal. So, yeah, I don't know. My, my biggest question is, like, does Miami have enough shot-making to beat the Lakers? Because I do think that they can guard the Lakers as well as anybody in the NBA. Are they able to make enough threes? I think that's the biggest deal because they're going to play that style, I think, against the Lakers. And I don't know if, like, you know, Jay Crowder's coming off a one-for-seven game from three, one-for-nine. It's two bad games in a row from him shooting. Like, if, if that's kind of run out a little bit, Duncan Robinson didn't make a three on Wednesday night. He's 0-for-four, and he's had two bad shooting games in a row. And, you know, Boston is, has tweaked it a little bit, and they're a good team to guard Miami. But I, I just wonder, like, if Miami shoots at their expectation, like, I, I do feel like this series is a coin flip if, if, if it ends up being that way. I, and I think well, Miami's I'm, I'm glad better. you mentioned Goran Jogic because he doesn't get a lot of credit. And that might be one of the big differences we talked about what's different in the regular season. He was, you know, hurt a little bit coming off the bench. He played 28 minutes a night. He's been, like, back unleashed in the playoffs, averaging 35 minutes, 21 points a game. He's really good. And he, he's going to be a problem for the Lakers if they match up. Yeah, and I want to qu- make a point about Europeans. What about this? This is a larger point. Might be considered <laughs> racist. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we, can't go one, we can't go one show. We can't go one show. No, I mean, it's a compliment. There's this perception that Europeans, what do you think about Euro players, Bargnani types? They're soft, right? People think they're soft. They, they tend to, but a lot of people tend there's, to equate skill with softness. Like, it's weird. But I'll tell you this there's a major difference, not to lump. You know, Dragic is tough, in, dude. That's what I'm saying. Not to lump in entire countries together, but. Eastern Europeans are not (laughs) Slovenians. There's a big difference between Western Europe, you know, sitting in Cannes, you know, sipping their wine, and Eastern Europeans who, like, live, like, on the streets, like, eating stray cats. Like, they... They are this tough dudes. This is a great take for so many reasons. And you know what it, you know what it reminds me of? I don't think you you definitely did not watch Creed 2 because that's just not, not what you I did, did watch Creed 2. I didn't think it was very good. Do you remember like – yeah, it wasn't very good at all. But do you remember the scene where like they, they, they like pan over to Russia, like wherever uh, – Yes, yes, yes. And it's like this dark – like it's, it's like wet, the street, the, 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 <laughs> like the industry's all broken down. There's like factories where nobody's working. People it's just, like, 100% smoking. true. Yeah. I mean, Eastern Europe – I mean, I studied Russian. I uh, studied Russian history and, the, you know, the old Soviet empire. Like they're hardy people. And, uh, they've been through a lot of war, a lot of violence. They are tough <laughs> MFers. No, it's <laughs> let me tell you this. Can I give you another story? So I, I was a little watching learning about Russia and learning about Russian mob, okay? And um, they came to the United States, trickled over here. 
And there was this cop in Chicago and he had, you know, in the seventies, eighties, now in the nineties, and he had been used to the mob before they had the Chicago, you know, the Italian mob. And he's like, the Italian mob was tough. Like, you know, they would intimidate people. And if you didn't pay back your, you know, what you owed, they come and break your legs. Right. That's always the reputation. And so anyway, so he's tracking these Russian mobsters and they, somebody owed them money and they went over to his house and just cut off his head. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> like these guys do not mess around. There's no breaking your legs here. No holding you over a window. I mean, that's, that's like, what like, going to kill you. That's what like agents have always said. You know, I know like Russian hockey is a big deal and like Russian and Russian basketball leagues are, are, they pay very well, but like you never know where the money comes from. And it's, it's just kind of like the wild I guess the wild west that, or the wild east, if you will. But like, it's just like, it's, it's wild. And like Dragic to me, like you can watch him. Like that guy plays with a chip on his shoulder and he has his entire career. It's the same thing. Like Luca, you know, obviously I don't think he's like a super tough guy, but he, he plays with like swagger. Like he plays with confidence and you know, that's his confidence. Like a lot of his skill level comes from playing in Europe and they probably do flop a little bit and exaggerate calls a little bit, but like in terms of his hardiness, I think he had that. And, and that is true. Like that was what we didn't see from Pau Gasol who was very good early on in his career and was a tough player. Like, don't get me wrong. Like it's not this Dan Dockage, like soft eyes BS. Right. Like, but we watched Pau make, big plays, but he just didn't, he, he seemed soft, right? Like he didn't seem to have the right. same confidence that we're seeing. And even like a guy like, do you remember Milos Teodosic? Sure. Like he played with that type of confidence, right? Where he was just swinging the ball. And you know, Drazen Petrovic, like same deal. Like these dudes, like tougher Well, there's that like coach now, Sarunas, what's his name? Jaron Jarakowskiewicz or something? Yasa Kevisic. Yeah, you know, he's good from player. Lithuania. Yeah, he played at Maryland. Yeah, and he's a coach, and apparently, even as a coach, he's tough. He's yelling at people and yelling at the refs, and it's like they're they're talking about him coming to the NBA, and like he might not be able to handle it just because he's used to kind of being a bad. Don't you remember him just like beating the crap out of like yes. the 2004 Olympic team? Yeah, it was great. Uh, so let's talk about this for a second because we we got off a little bit off track talking about Dragic, but like, what does Boston need to do to get back in this series? They might need some more Eastern Europeans. They have Tice. I don't know if he's from where's he from he from? Germany. I know he's from Germany, but I'm wondering if it's West Germany or East Germany. That might make a big difference to me. Let me look it Saul's up. Saul's Gitter. Mean, I, Saul's. I don't know where that is, but you'll have to Google it. We'll, we'll, I'll fill the time while you Google Saul's Gitter. Germany's not that well, big. Germany's not. It looks like right in the middle of Germany. Uh, so it's, it's like he, tell. he's not an Eastern Bloc German. But here, here's the thing, right? With Boston, we talked about this as they're, they're not super deep, right? Like that's kind of the issue. They, they end up in a situation where like, you know, after like Brad Wanamaker and Robert Williams, like those guys are playing 10, 12 minutes a night. And, and the other guys, you know, they're, they're kind of big six are playing 30 a night. Right. So the biggest issue with Boston is like when Tatum has a bad first half, if nobody picks up the slack, like it's hard for them to get back in the game. And, and so Boston, I think they struggled with the th- with the zone Miami used on Wednesday night. Nobody really shot the ball great. You know, it's, it's it's a hard situation when you look after the game and Marcus Smart's one for eight from three, but you have to kind of live with that, right? Because he's the guy that's going to get shots. And Tatum was very good in the second half and Boston crawled back into the game. But I don't want to sit here and give you analysis. Like the only way Boston can win the series or get back into the series is if Jason Tatum has three great games. But I do kind of think that's because I, I think we're not going to get the Kemba Walker that we're expecting. Like, I, I just don't see that at this point. And I think it's hard to rely on Gordon Hayward. So, like, I think this is going to be a situation where Jason Tatum needs to just drag his team offensively into games. And Miami is so tough to do that against because they have so many guys that can guard. And it's like, 
Spo is so good at throwing different looks at you. And I, I just wonder, like, are we going to see a big game from Kemba? Like, are we going to see Jalen Brown, you know, have 30? Because he's been so good and so solid. But, like, is Boston ceiling lower than we think because Kemba has just not been the guy that we thought they were yeah. And they've been picking on him. Defensively, he doesn't look great. I saw some Celtics fans comparing him to Isaiah Thomas in that regard. Um, he's, not been, he's not been that bad. I don't think he's been that bad. No, I, I don't think so either. But it's like when your whole team is like we're, we're big wings and we play good defense, you can't have this little guy who's not making shots well enough. I mean, here's the thing, too. Boston maybe has been a little bit unlucky. I, I did say like game four, obviously, it, it was not as close as the final score was, but they lost game one by three. They lost game two by five. They lost game four by three. These teams have the exact same offensive rating, and they're, they've scored the exact same amount of points, mainly because Boston won you know, game three by 11. So it's like – Again, it just feels like this has been a pretty close series, and maybe Miami's just been a little bit more fortunate. Do you count Turkey as East? <laughs> East no, you're, the geog- you're the geography expert. I'm looking it up. I mean, would Turkish people be considered tough? Yeah, man. I think the, Ar- the Armenians would say so. I don't know if you remember that old Kirk Fuffle. And I looked up Daniel Tice's hometown, best known for a concentration camp uh, and slave labor. So that's feather in his cap in terms of his toughness, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I think Kemba needs to get hot because uh, you're right. They can't win this series without him having like one 40 point game. Like he needs to help win one game. And, and, you know, quite honestly, him and Marcus Smart have both been pretty poor. Like, they've just been bad offensively. And, and it's been, you know, you wouldn't expect Marcus Smart to have been bad defensively. But, he, you know, maybe Boston needs to play. It's, it's really hard to say this. And I don't think you need to overreact. But, like, obviously, when you're playing now every game as it could be your last, like you're packing your suitcases and you're bringing them to the bubble because you go right to the airport after the game. You know, maybe maybe a few less minutes of Marcus Smart. Like Brad Wanamaker has been effective in, in limited minutes. Like maybe that's a guy you can play a little bit more who can run you some offense. Maybe you play Brad Wanamaker a little bit more than Kemba. Like not more than Kemba, but like in more of Kemba's minutes. So Kemba's only playing 28 minutes a game instead of 35. And it, it D- makes Does he harder. look different to you? Because I, I, I've watched him and I, I think I'm he trying to figure slower. out if he's still hurt. Yeah, he doesn't look totally different to me, but – I can't say I watched a ton of Kemba Walker in Charlotte, so I, I don't haven't seen him maybe as much lately. Yeah, I, I think he looks. I think he looks slower. Like I don't think he looks as quick. I think he looks a little bit heavier. You know, he's kind of. I hate to say this because it's like a little bit of a cliche, but like he kind of had that like jitterbug feel to him, where he's just always on the move. He had the ball on a string. Like he can do so many things, and now it feels like he's not a great shooter, which we knew he he was never a great shooter, but. Like, he can get to that, like, foul line step-back jumper that, like, everyone knows Ken before, and he can make that, like, 100 times out of 100, but it seems like it's harder for him to get to that spot at the, these days. It's harder for him to get to the rim. And like you said, like, he's just getting worn out defensively. And that's where, you know, that, that, that's where, like, the Lakers don't – the Lakers don't have, like, one obvious defensive weakness, right? Like, you know, Caruso, Rondo, like, those guys are good. Like I said, like, there's some argument that LeBron is, like, their worst perimeter defender, but, like, there isn't really a way – you have to just beat the Lakers straight up, like you said. Like you just have to beat them. But there isn't. There are ways to like scheme them when they play big, when they play Dwight, they play Javale. But like when they're playing their smaller, like closing lineup, like they're not a team that you can really take advantage of a ton. And that's where I wonder if like having a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is so comfortable with the pace slowed down, like so comfortable against big names, I just wonder if like he is not getting enough credit in terms well, of. I think being a huge I just mentioned part of before. I think to attack the Lakers, you have to pick your spots. And it's like, you said teams aren't really attacking Rondo enough. 
But like when Rondo's out there, like maybe you have to press the issue and play him off the court because he's a whole. What is he? Thirty four. I don't know. Well, I don't um, even know. Like I think with him, you just want him. You just want to attack him offensively. Like you don't want to. Like, it, it, Rondo's great when he's like running the offense, but like when he has to be the offense, that's where he's worse. Like, right. And they they've been leaving him open a lot. Um. What about this though, Kemba? Get back to Kemba. Go for it. I'm trying to remember the exact quote. The Jurassic Park quote of I've said it before. Jeff Goldblum was talking about them making the dinosaurs, and he he said we spent so much time wondering if we can, and no one ever asked the question whether we should. Celtics get a coup, sign Kemba Walker. Would they call a mulligan on that? He's making thirty-two million this year, thirty-four million next year, thirty-six million. And then thirty-seven million. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think so. Like, I, I don't think so. Maybe you know, their cap sheet is quite interesting for the future, right? Because obviously, you need to save money to pay Jason Tatum. So one of the biggest questions is like, how much money is Daniel Tice getting in the offseason? He's a very capable, you know, run and jump big, and like he has a non-guaranteed contract for five million next year. But everyone kind of just assumes like, oh, Boston's going to pay him. But the problem is, right, when you're paying Kemba as much money, the Jalen Brown extension is going to kick in. I, I think Gordon Hayward's going to pick up his player option because like. Maybe he thinks yeah, he can get like four million. Right. But maybe he thinks he can get like three for 80 million or something. And so he does that, but I doubt it. So he probably will want to take the 34 million and then hit the open market the next year. Like, and then you are going to give Jason Tatum a max deal, right? Like he's going to get paid 200 plus million dollars. So it's, it's interesting if, if Boston, you know, I, I think they would do it again. I, I do. And again, Kemba's clearly hobbled. This has been such a weird year. Like, I think it's really hard to glean like, just totally like rock solid, like yes or no answers. But given what we know about Boston, given how their ability to like flexibly to to be like flexible and like move things around and like open up cap and like, I just think they probably would do it again. And I think they're going to get, they, they, they definitely feel like they're getting a 20 to 25 point per game score. And here's the other thing too, by the way, Kemba is by no means a good defender, but just like his effort and energy level of actually trying to defend, like they're way better defensively with him in the game than they are with, than they were with Kyrie. Because like and he's also just a, maybe from like a culture standpoint, he's he's a high character guy. Maybe he's allow, helped allow Tatum and Brown to take that next step, where Kyrie might have been blocking them in some way. Yeah, um, and here's the thing: if Jason Tatum becomes one of the five best players in the NBA, and it's I think it's a reasonable question to ask if that's his ceiling. I, I don't know. I don't know if it is or isn't. He's really good right now. Like I don't know if he'll ever. You know, like is he a better version of Demar? What about Bruce? this? What if what if they had signed Malcolm Brogdon instead? Mm-hmm. Less yeah, money. I, I don't know. Guy, better defender, can hit a shot. I think. <laughs> I, that, look, hindsight's twenty twenty. You're I not mean, even. I'd you're not it. even asking. Let me ask you a question. Like, you're not asking: Is Malcolm Brogdon better than Kemba? You're asking: Is Malcolm Brogdon better for the Celtics than Kemba? Correct? Right. Well, Kemba Kemba thrived as like if you need a guy. Like, let's say you're the Charlotte Hornets and you need somebody to score twenty five points a game. Maybe that's Kemba. If you're the Celtics and you need a third option to play some defense and hit some open shots, I think it's probably Brogdon. So, like, let me ask you this, though. The biggest difference in Kemba this year and Kemba last year is just his minutes were down. He shot the ball better from three. He took less shots per game. So, like, the biggest difference in the Kemba we're seeing is essentially that he got injured right around the All-Star break, right? Like, he got injured right before the All-Star break. But he's Mm -hmm. before that, like, he was playing, I would say, I I don't know this, I can look it up, but I, I would imagine that his per 36 numbers are, like, pretty close to what they were. He just is shooting the ball so much less. And he's getting better yeah. shots. And I, just, I, he's just bad right now. He, and he, I, I think he's if not you, healthy. 
Well, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Like, I think if you were going to make the argument for Kemba, you'd say, look, we're paying him a lot down the road. It's a little scary, but our cap in the future is going to be screwed up anyway because we have to pay Tatum. And signing Kemba now gives us more of an upside to win the title right now, which I think is true. I think if Kemba hadn't gotten hurt and he was playing as good well as he did the last couple of years, this team probably would have been favored you know, everyone being healthy against Miami. And, you know, and I also think too, Um, hold on, Zan, I do think, by the way, if Gordon Hayward was at full strength going into this series, it's very possible that it's different, even if Kemba is not at 100%. Yeah, I I, I picked Celtics to win, and I guess I was wrong on that. But um, it's close. I mean, it certainly hasn't felt like Miami's just would win, you know, 80 or 100 games. It, it kind of sucks, right? Like, the, I think both of these series have been very reasonably close. Like, I think both of these series have been good games with, like, high-level shot-making, like, good coaching, good players. And then instead, we've got two 3-1 series. And I would I would expect, like, I guess if I was going to bet on it, I'd assume, like, at least one goes to six. But, like, there's a good chance that, like, we're just going to get two five-game series. And, and I think all four of these teams seem pretty evenly matched. I really do feel that way. Yeah. And, you know, I saw Jermichael Green on the Clippers tweeted. He's like, I still can't believe we lost. And I still feel like that, too. Like, I just – something feels like we just missed something here. Um, yeah, let, let, let's – let's, That's good. This is kind of what NBA – true NBA fans always want is the idea that any parity and all these games are – yeah. And yet still LeBron is, like, standing there on the mountain, right? Like, he's just – all right, let me ask you this question. Let's – let's five minutes, okay? Then, then we'll be done. Okay. Does this title come with an asterisk, in your opinion? And why or why not? Like, will people look back on the 2020 season and be like, yeah, that was weird, right? Um, I, you know what? I like, think- do you think the Bucks or the Clippers win if the season is normal? You know what I mean? I guess that's my question, kind of. No, I was going to say no to that. I think there were some, you know, because Giannis got hurt and then the Clippers just never gelled. Let's not excuse them. Um, I, I said this before, like, the title is going to feel like an asterisk if one of the big three doesn't win. If Miami wins the title, I do think it's going to feel odd it, in the same way that Toronto winning to me felt odd last year. Cause I don't think they were the best team. Um, you know, and cause Golden State got hurt. So it would feel weird. It would feel like a, I don't want to say asterisk though, cause they deserved it. Like there's no reason that Miami, if they win should not deserve the title especially after beating Milwaukee and then potentially beating the Lakers. Like that's, that's, that's kind of my thought too, right? Like, so let's just say, let's say something crazy happens, right? Let's say Denver comes back from three, one down again, comes back from three, one down in the finals and beats a team like Miami. Like if you're telling me the Denver, like they came back from three, one down three times, beat the Clippers and the Lakers and a good Utah team. And then beats a team like Miami, who we know was playing well, like did Denver not get their money's worth? Like, did they not have a ridiculously hard road? It, it would feel kind of weird though, because I, and so I wouldn't say an asterisk. I wouldn't say they don't deserve it. It would feel odd. It would feel more like the NFL where it's like, Hey, Joe Flacco won the Super Bowl this year. It's like, huh? Still, a, still, a still just a ridiculous moment. Was that the right. same? And, did they win the Super Bowl the same year that, like, he threw the crazy Hail Mary, like, over Raheem Moore's head? Was that the Denver year where, like, he just had that insane? I think that, yeah. I'm not sure. That, that's the Denver should have won that one year. They were the better team. But it's like – and then you try to justify it in hindsight. Like, uh, well, Baltimore won – you know what? Joe Flacco is one of the best five quarterbacks now. He's, he's just really good. He took a leap. It's like, no, not really. He's kind of yeah. got hot. 
he was hot for three games. This is the Eli Manning thing, right? Like Eli was a very right. good quarterback for you know twenty years, and he had two well, very hot players. And then runs. like Eli defenders, and we know a few would say, "Oh, he just steps up in the clutch." But it's like because you don't want to feel like the playoffs are fluky, and you yeah. don't want to feel like the championship is just like you know a coin flip. But I would if, say, go ahead, go ahead. Even if, I think if any of the team besides the Lakers won, it would feel like that. I think basketball uh, is probably the least fluky because like it's supposed to be. It's well, well, to be. well, it's true. Like you can you can have a situation with like Houston where they just miss a ton of shots and like that's not supposed to happen. But like in football, it's one game, right? Anybody in the NFL can win one game, except for like you know maybe I, I don't know. I, I, Jacksonville looks so bad on Thursday night, but they're they're fine, right? But then like in hockey, right? Like ball, the puck goes the ball. I'm an idiot. The puck goes off somebody's skate and you score a goal and then you get hot after that, right? Or like in baseball, like. The balls right. and that's why like they shift wrong, and like you just get unlucky, right? But basketball doesn't. Right. It's and that's why like baseball had to kind of adjust their thing because it's like let's have a wild card, and then it's like wait a minute, all these random wild card teams are winning this this World <laughs> Series. We have to make it harder for them. Yeah. Um, it, and the NBA maybe maybe they should do that too. I don't know. I mean, the bubble just shows you that you know, poor Milwaukee, like really didn't get any advantage. Um, no, not at all. Ex- and, and we don't even know like if home court advantage would have made a huge deal. I'm, my assumption is it probably would have made and, it Yeah. Worse. Well, the, you know, there are talks about things that way to make it feel like a home field advantage, home court advantage, you know, maybe an extra possession or whatever else. And they never did it. And I think it's probably a mistake. Well, they just put outside. team, they just put team graphics on the court and you got like the jumbotron, which is great. Right. And, and again, we know, although that yeah, shooting... and, and the credit to the credit of the NBA, like I can't tell the difference. The crowd noise is awesome. It's so good. Close yeah. games are great. And, and, you know, same thing with football too. Like somebody, I think cousin Sal said this on the Simmons podcast, but like when you don't go far away from the field, right. So like if it's, if you're just looking at the players on the field anyway, and they don't pan to the crowd, then you don't know what you're missing. So as long as they get the crowd noise, right. Like, a couple of like the Boston and Toronto games seemed like they were being played in front of a stadium of like 50,000. It was like amazing. Yeah. Right? So you definitely, as a viewer, you can't really tell the difference. I do think that this product has been quite good. Like all, 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 all like the outside factors aside, right. The whole, like the bubble situation, like all the social justice stuff, like just the, what we've seen on the court for the last, what, like six to eight weeks has been very good. And that's why, like, if Miami does win the title or if Boston comes back and they win the title or if the Lakers win the title, like, I think those guys deserve a lot of credit because, like, it's very different in the sense that, like, all you have to do is basketball, like we said, but at the same time, that's all you do, right? Like, you're just there every day playing games. Yeah. Day and, like, well, there's, it's like the perfect storm of, like, weirdness to the year. It's like the COVID and Black Lives Matter stuff. And the social justice, like, they've handled, I think, mixed results. Um, but the COVID just like freaking getting through the season without any like infections or whatever. It's like, it's been an A plus amazing job. To do and, this like we, bubble and, we, idea. and we know it probably affected a couple guys, right? Like we know, you know, maybe it affected Russ. We don't know, but it definitely affected Montrez Harrell. Like, and there were other guys like Jamal Murray was like, you know, kind of in the mix a little bit. And I just think that they've done a great job. And I just want to say like, I have enjoyed very much the player like I, I i came on the show today like a little bit grumpy because i was disappointed in the officiating in the denver game denver lakers game on thursday night but like aside from that like it's been a great product man and i, I don't i, I yeah. don't necessarily think we're going to ultimately end up with the best team winning the title but i do feel pretty strongly that like both the lakers miami both like the lakers the nuggets the heat and the celtics i think the celtics are probably playing the worst of those four teams but i think like denver los angeles and miami are all playing great right now and i think if you asked like hey who's played the best in the bubble like 
your answer would have to be one of those three teams, right? It can't really be anybody else. I think at least. No. And then if you were making like a bubble all-star team, it would be, you know, Jamal Murray, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, LeBron, Um, probably James Harden, Lou Dort. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a long bubble season. Remember when like the Suns were the hot story and then Damian Lillard was the hot story. Well, they did an all, remember they, you're saying they're doing an all bubble playoff team, but they already did an all bubble prior prior to that. So all (laughs) they named the coach of the bubble. I mean, that's stupid. Who won that one? I think it was Monty, Monty Williams. Williams. Yeah, how could it be anybody else? Because he went, he went eight and no. All right, so hopefully we are back. And it's um, game seven. So if Boston and Miami goes to game seven, that will be Sunday. So if the Lakers and Denver go to seven, that will be Monday. Hopefully we have a conference finals game to talk about if we record Monday morning. I hope that's Well, the I wouldn't case. mind previewing the finals. And look, <laughs> no excuses. And then uh, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, look, if it's Miami – they're going to have some pieces to throw at the Lakers. They're, they're going to make them work for it. Um, Definitely. And, Boston, Boston would too, as well, by the way. Yeah. Well, let's see it. Let's, let's see one of these series go to six, at least hopefully either these rounds or the finals. All right. That is it for today. Xander Kellison at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. Uh, he is Zan underscore Ellison on Twitter and on Reddit. Lots of great threads. Uh, one shameless plug for our guy, Blake J. Harris, a console wars documentary out on CBS all access as of, I believe Wednesday, nine 23, check it out. We've both seen it. It's quite good. We are obviously very biased, but I like console wars more than I like LeBron. How about that? Cause I spent all day talking about how much I like LeBron, but other than that, Dan, I pray. It is. It's always a pleasure. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.